While I was a comedian, I would start my hour-long stage show by introducing myself and telling my audience, in no uncertain terms, that while I understood their very high expectations for my show, things would go better for all of us if they brought their expectations down to a reasonable level. At which point I would gesture to a spot somewhere closer to the floor. It was tongue-in-cheek, and it got a good laugh, but the principle is a good one. See, we judge the success of something relative to our expectations for it. Go watch a movie for which you have low or zero expectations, and it might very well surprise you. It might not be amazing, but your own reaction is more likely to be, hey, you know, that wasn't so bad. But go to a movie like I did with Elton John's Rocket Man recently with very high expectations after waiting for six months for it to come out, only to feel like it was two movies mashed together with sentimental drivel and a cheesy ending, and you're most likely to come out of that experience more disappointed than you might have been otherwise. The creative life is full of expectations. If you do any client work at all, you're probably familiar with the idea of expectation management knowing that keeping the hopes of the client realistic and on track means greater perceived success for the project and a better working relationship with the client. This is episode 13 of A Beautiful Anarchy, and I want to pick up where I left off after episode 12 and complete the conversation we started about creative confidence by looking at our expectations. Let's talk about it. Expectations, the things we hope for and the outcomes we believe likely in our creative work, can be tremendously dangerous mental artifacts. I'm not sure what else to call them. As a photographer, I have taught often about the way that expectations can blind us to what really is or might be. If you go to a place looking for a specific thing, the intensity of your looking for or hoping for that thing will blind you to the presence of what is right there and then. Expectations are often very specific. They don't tend to be vague, and that is the problem with them. Their very specificity excludes all the many other possibilities that are out there. And for the creative person trading in divergent ideas and unexpected possibilities, Anything that prevents us from seeing those should be held in high suspicion. This is true of the direction of our work, it's true of what we believe about our ability to do that work, and it is true of the reception to our work. Our belief that our work will or will not be well received, the expectation that no one wants to see it and that it's therefore not worth the doing, is not only toxic, but sabotaging and self-fulfilling. It's heartbreaking how often I hear the words, often spoken in resignation, who wants to hear what I have to say. Other versions include such hits as, it's all been done, so why try? What have I got to offer? And that timeless ballad, who am I to put my stuff out there? Of course, the expected answer, the assumed answers to all of these are no one or nothing. And because we have set our expectations, we've answered our own questions already with our assumptions. And we stall right there. If the last episode was an attempt to address the question, can I do this? This episode is an attempt to answer, why should I? I don't think I'm alone in thinking that the school systems in which many of us grew up did a great deal of damage to us. Yeah, sure, we all know the basics about the world wars. We can place Australia on a map, and you probably know some of the names of the long succession of dead guys who once presided over whatever nation in which you grew up. 
You might remember what an isosceles triangle is. The contents they tried so hard to beat into my brain are mostly gone now, though I can still draw a wicked cover page for any project that I do. That was the part I did best. I always wished there was a class just for cover pages, or that every test I did had a cover page requirement. But the things, the details they tried to teach me, they're mostly gone. What is not gone are the deeper lessons. I learned, among other things, that it's important to fit in, to give the right answer, and for anything at all to ask permission. Most of us, at some point, learned that anything in life requires permission of some kind or another, though as we get older, it's less about hall passes to go to the toilet and more about the implied permission we would need to do things our way to be different, to try some harebrained idea that just kind of came to us and which we cannot shake. And if I could reach into your brains and extract all those expectations and replace them with one unlimited sky blue carte blanche permission slip, I would give the world to do that. You do not need permission. The questions I asked a couple minutes ago, you need no permission to find an answer to them, except perhaps from yourself. Because if you're asking yourself, who wants to hear what I have to say? It's probably because you're not out there trying to find an answer to that question. Yeah, you're asking, but it's only rhetorical. You already think you know the answer. And you know what? At the beginning, the answer is, well, no one. I know, you thought I was going to tell you the world is just waiting to hear from you. But they aren't. In the same way that before the guy that invented pizzas with the cheese baked into the crust, there was no one sitting around thinking, you know what I want? I want one of those cheesy crust pizzas. As far as creating metaphors, the cheese crust pizza metaphor probably marks a new low for me. But try to stay focused on the point here. No one wants to hear from you until you give them a reason. I didn't know I wanted to hear David Bowie over and over again until I heard Absolute Beginners and had to hear more. I didn't know I wanted to read Hemingway until I read Farewell to Arms. I didn't know I liked avocado toast until I tried it, and I didn't know that I loved my wife and wanted to be with her until she smiled at me. Who wants your art? No one. Until they do. And neither they nor you will ever know that until you make it and share it in some way. I know, I know, it's easy for me to say that. I've already got books. I've already got blog readers. Bullshit. We all start somewhere, and the only reason I have blog readers now is because 15 years ago, I started my first blog with none. Not one single reader. And I was asking the same question we all do. Who wants to read what I have to say? The difference is, I wasn't asking rhetorically. I was genuinely curious and willing to find out, even if, as I suspected, the answer was no one. David Bowie started at some point with not a single fan, and then he gave us, those of us that love his music, but before we knew we would, something we loved. Something that we resonated with. In the history of which came first, the chicken or the egg, this one is easy to answer. It is always the artist and the art, never the audience, that comes first. Sure, they might be out there, but they don't know it yet. You have to show us. You have to put the work out there in one cataclysmic first act of traumatic self-destruction. Of course, it won't be, but it will feel like it is. Here's what you need to know. You are experiencing things as a human being that you alone can convey in, well, in the way that you alone can convey them. You are one among billions, that's true, but as unique as your story, thoughts, feelings, and questions might be, we all experience similar things. 
It is the combination of those things, and this is the important part, that you are willing to share them in precisely your own way that will make some of us sit up, your words or art vibrating through every part of us as we see something of our own experience and we suddenly feel less alone and we think, you too? It is your courage that will give us ours. Your work will not appeal to everyone. It doesn't need to. It needs to appeal to its own audience, an audience that the work itself will find as people resonate with it, as people see some reflection of themselves in it, as you give them courage to ask the same questions you do or admit to the same feelings or experiences that you've had. You don't have to customize it for them. You don't have to ask, what does my audience want? Your art, whatever it is, will find its own audience. Who wants to hear what you have to say? They do, but they don't know it until you put it out there and one person finds it and shows it to another and another and another. It has never been so easy for our work to answer that question for us, but we've got to put it out there, not because it's good or better than someone else's, whatever that means, but because it is yours. We gain creative confidence as we take baby steps and give ourselves the chance for our work to answer those haunting questions for us one at a time. But the expectation that you will launch the blog, the podcast, the new book or album to an instant audience, the expectation that only a large audience means that your work is worth the making, that will stop you in your tracks. Who are you to put your work out there into the world? You're the same one of a kind, yet just like the rest of us person that David Bowie was, or Hemingway, or Picasso. Pick whatever artist that haunts your thoughts and reminds you that, no, you will never be like them, and remember this. They were once nothing but a snotty-nosed kid with nothing but rough ideas, picking their way through music lessons, wondering if they'd ever figure this shit out. They wrote crappy first stories, got rejection letters, and at some point probably wondered, who am I to put my stuff out there? The only difference between them and those of us still in the wings is that they didn't ask that question rhetorically. They didn't wait for permission. They asked it and then said, let's find out. You do not need a hall pass for this life. You need no one's permission to be who you are, to do and say and make what you long for. The fact of your birth and this one short, astonishing life full of possibilities, that is your permission to do it, say it, to make it, and to do so your way. To let your art be the question, the invitation. Who wants to hear what I have to say? But it's more than that. There's a good chance, if you're asking the question, that you need to say, make, or do those things for the only audience that really matters. And that is you. When you are stopped by the expectation that no one wants to hear or see or read or listen to what you create, you miss the chance to make that thing, to be surprised by it, to learn from it, to experience the joy and the growth that comes from the making itself. You miss the chance to become the person that art making always creates. Sure, we make the art, but it is also true that the art makes us. In a very real way, without resorting to yet another dodgy metaphor, David Bowie became David Bowie by making his art, singing his songs, slowly mutating and transforming because of the art making into the person that he became. That's how life works. And that is my way of reminding you that as much as the world needs your art, you need it more. 
and to abandon the making because you're not sure who else might like it or want it is like refusing to cook and eat food for yourself because it might not be to someone else's taste. Make your art for you first. You need it to express yourself, to explore who you are and the story that you are living, to sort through the raw materials and become the person that art making alone can and will create. You haven't only been given permission to do that already. You've been given a mandate. There's a great line in a Paul Simon song that goes, he says there's no doubt about it. It was the myth of fingerprints. I've seen them all and man, they're all the same. Of course, we're all different, but we're also so much the same. You are not the only one to look for permission to create your work and to put it out there. We are all the same. We all wonder who are we to do things our way, to be ourselves and do our work. But some of us let the question hang in the air. We let it call us forward into discovering the many possible and different answers we will find as we do the work. It's time to hold those expectations a little more openly, to stop assuming we know the answers to these questions, and to stop looking for that goddamn hall pass. Who needs what you have to make? You do. You need it more than you will ever know. And yes, we do. We just don't know it yet. Please don't rob us of the chance to find out. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're enjoying A Beautiful Anarchy, I would be so grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes or wherever you choose to listen. If you've got comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch by sending an email to talkback at abeautifulanarchy.com. I publish A Beautiful Anarchy three weeks out of four, but you can still get your fix on those fourth weeks if you subscribe to On The Make, my monthly kick in the creative pants sent directly to your inbox. You can subscribe by going to abeautifulanarchy.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and telling me where to send it. I will also send you a copy of my short ebook, Escape Your Creative Rut, Five Ways to Get Your Groove Back. And every month, I will draw the name of one subscriber to whom I'll send a signed copy of my book, A Beautiful Anarchy. Thank you so much for being part of this. Until next time, go make something beautiful. Beautiful.